This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Love to see all the familiar and some new faces that we have with us today friends and family to be here together so we can uh, sing together and pray together and hopefully uh, feel closer to the Lord when we leave today than when we came. So I hope that uh, with my message today on the book of Jonah that uh, that would cause us to maybe think a little bit differently about some things, um, especially in today's world. Um, I don't know if this is a, an adequate title, but I think it really captures maybe a different twist, at least for me, on when I read the book of Jonah. And it was the Lord saying, Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? And I have the at them. You see, I, Jonah was a prophet of Israel. And in this story, when I read it, to me it kind of captured a bit of a us versus them mentality. Now, we all know the story of Jonah, right? It's one of our favorite stories that we read, particularly to our children, to, to understand and the similarity to how Jonah was to Jesus three days in the belly of the fish. And... Um, I hope to learn from Jonah how our identity within God's people can impact how we think of people outside of how we identify. So turn with me to the book of Jonah. It's just right before Micah in the Old Testament. We're going to be spending some time there. And uh, again, my hope is through this lesson, it's a very short book, that we kind of pause and think about the us and them, the, the identity of ourselves and of others. In chapter 1, verse 2, God tells Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and I want you to pay particular attention to a couple words. Cry against is what God asked Jonah to do on his behalf. See, cry in Hebrew is kara, and it means to proclaim, to call out. You know, it's the same word that God used when he called light day and the dark night in Genesis 1-5. He proclaimed, he called it. And here in Jonah's, my version's to cry. Like a desperate call, right? And against is also um, a word in my Bible used, and it's al, Hebrew. And it means against or over, 
above. Like the earth was formless in Genesis 1-2. The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. That over is the same word as against. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then in Genesis 1-7, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth. The same word as against in this. So calling out over, above, is a way I want you to look at this with me this morning. In verse 3, Jonah was adamantly against this, and instead he rose up and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, it tells us in verse 3. He fled. Now we know the story of Jonah, right? Fleeing from the Lord on a ship to Tarshish, Terrible storm, a great wind, it tells us, came up. And all the sailors, all the men among the ship, they cast lots because they're like, why is this happening? Surely something has done, someone has done something wrong. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. And he said, to cast me in the sea. They asked him, well, who are you? He said, well, I am a Hebrew. And they knew he was fleeing from the Lord. Now, they asked him, what should we do with him? He said, cast me into the sea. Now, they didn't want to throw him in the sea, right? This is a Hebrew man. They know he's fleeing from the Lord. So they tried again without success to try to row to the land. They're like, we got to get this guy off our ship before it destroys everything. Let's try to get the landing, put him on land. Well, that's not going to happen. They were unsuccessful in that attempt in verse 13. So in verse 14, they said, they prayed to the Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. That's what the crew prayed. Well, they throw him overboard and the Lord still had work for Jonah. So he sent a great fish. And that great fish swallowed up Jonah, it tells us. And he was in that fish's belly for three days and nights. And I want to pay particular attention to Jonah's prayer while in the belly of the fish. And it starts in chapter 2. And I'm going to read 1 through 9. And I want you to be listening for Jonah's heart in this prayer that he prayed to the Lord while in the belly of the fish. It tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death, the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you 
with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. When you hear that, that prayer of Jonah, did Jonah have a true change of heart of what he was to do? Was he including himself in verse 8, which was, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness? Or was he talking about them? He says that I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. That sounds good. There are lots of verses in the Bible that tell us about making those sacrifices. For Samuel, Proverbs, Psalms, Romans. Proverbs 21, 3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Jonah continues to maintain an us versus them mentality. Even after the incident with the fish in the predicament, he still remains in. He is still in the fish of the belly, the belly of the fish. And then in verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. In chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He said, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So the Lord is, Jonah's not off the hook, right? He's not off the hook. God still has a plan for him. Trying to get his attention, but nonetheless has a plan for him. Scripture again reminds us that Nineveh was a great city. It reminds me of the time and the challenge that Moses had that God gave him. Egypt was a great city. And Pharaoh was an extremely powerful man. Very powerful. Did Moses feel like, okay, yep, I've I've been born for this job right here. No, he didn't. He felt very unqualified. And even with all the hurdles that Moses gave God, you know, I'm not really your guy to do this. I mean, Pharaoh is a big deal, and Egypt is huge. He obeyed. Yeah, he threw out some hurdles, but God took those out of his way. He said, I need you to go do this. And he did it. Well, so for Jonah, after a three days walk to the city, and the city's big. I mean, it's a, it tells us it's a day's walk in the city. Do you ever do something out of just simply obligation, but maybe not do something from your whole heart? Somebody you respect, maybe a, a spouse or parent or a coworker, a boss, somebody, this is what I need you to do. Okay, I'll do it. How did that feel? When you reflect on those situations and, and how you responded, do you feel good about that? Or do you feel like your efforts were maybe only halfway? Just, I got it done. 
you know, I was able to check the box, as we say. But were you really focusing on the results of what that person wanted you to achieve? Or you just kind of go through the motions? Well, I think we can all say we've experienced that. Where we did something, we kind of went through the motions. We could say we did it. I did what you asked me to do. Just, okay, I did it. Just get off my back. Well, when I read Jonah's message of repentance, I'm thinking, wow, God has to ask you twice to do something. And this is the best you can do? Does this sound like a real change of heart by Jonah? This is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his message. 40 days and you're all going to die. Walks around the city saying that. Now Jonah's name means dove. He's like a spiritual messenger, right? He represents peace and he's to soothe and quiet. That's what a dove does, right? Soothe and quiet. Does yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown sound like a spiritual messenger from the Lord? He was giving them the facts. His eight-word evangelistic preaching around the city. Do you believe Jonah still harbors an us versus them mentality? You know, I can almost see Jonah walking around the city, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. How would we respond? Where's the hope? Where's the but? Like in Matthew 25, 46, Jesus says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The verse provides a hope of heaven. And these, Jesus was saying, were the accursed ones. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of, sin is, this wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jonah's message was not that hopeful, but nevertheless, regardless of how brief Jonah's message was of damnation, the king of Nineveh responded in chapter 3, verses 5 and 10, 5 through 10. Then the people of Nineveh believed, okay, shortest message ever, Jonah's walking around, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing, and do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked ways and from the violence from which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. 
God saw their deeds, it says in verse 10. And they turned from their wicked ways. And then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared, which he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God relented. Matthew 12, 41, Jesus refers to this and says, Jesus tells us the people of Nineveh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. They repented at that. This is consistent with what we read in 2 Peter 3.9. says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all come to repentance. Well, we know that Jonah didn't put his whole heart into this message of repentance. So now that God spared the people of Nineveh, nonetheless, I am sure he's very pleased, right? Jonah's got to be happy. You know, I didn't give it my best, but God, you know, you did the work and, you know, the people are going to be, they're going to be saved. Jonah happy about that? No. Chapter four, verse one, it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Jonah maintains an us versus them mentality. Can we identify with wrong feelings about the Lord's mercy? Are we not blessed because God was and is gracious and merciful if people repent? Jonah was not gracious and wanted wrath and proceeded to tell God just how he felt about it. You know, sometimes we just want the bad guy to get smoked. You know, we just want fire and brimstone to just vaporize them. Have we not all felt that way when we see things in this world? And today with the media and cameras everywhere, you see a lot. And you're like, you know, okay, God, I got five more targets just from, the, just from this thread on Facebook. Because we look at it that way, like, you know, here's my group and them over there and God, you know. In verse, chapter four, verses two through four, Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Why is Jonah angry about this? Is he angry at himself maybe for the way he behaved? And God still showed mercy on this people of Nineveh that responded to his message. You know, it reminds me of Paul when he talks, and I don't know the exact verse, but he, he's like, whatever your reason to preach the gospel, you know, out of selfish ambition, pretense, whatever, preach the gospel. That makes me think of what Jonah did here. Why, why is, what is Jonah angry about? 
What is God probing for him, him for? What is, what is it that God sees in Jonah's heart that he wanted Jonah to recognize? He says, do you have good reason to be angry? Well, the story's not over yet, so let's continue on. Jonah goes out to watch what is going to happen. Now, God's going to spare him. But you can almost picture he is ready for a scene of God, Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't he? I mean, he's going to find himself a little shelter area. Fire and brimstone is just ready to come down, and he wants to have a good spot. It sounds like, you know, the sky is going to obliterate Nineveh, and Jonah wants to be in the best seat to watch it. Don't we sometimes want to see the thems in our lives get what's coming to them? It kind of sounds like that's what Jonah did. Wouldn't it be satisfying to witness those, the thems in our lives, get what they deserve? It's like you turn on the TV and watch all those who you disagree with. Those who are evil, but you swept away by a hurricane or an earthquake. Or maybe, just maybe, somebody who's throwing a, in a ride a Molotov cocktail. It breaks in their hands and it covers them with the accelerant. And we'd say, yeah, they got what they deserve. It's not hard to have those thoughts. The thems are hurting the us's. God, why don't you do something about it? So Jonah finds himself a good place to sit and watch Nineveh. But in this place, it tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, that he was uncomfortable. Due to the heat of the sun, so God caused a plant to grow to shade him, which Jonah liked very much. He liked that shady spot that God just provided him. He said, I'm so blessed and comfortable to watch this now. But then God, wanting to get Jonah's attention to who really gives and who really takes away, sent a worm to eat the plant. God sends a scorching wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better for me than life. Here again, you know, God shows mercy. Is he getting Jonah's attention? You know, here's a plan. Take it away. Oh, I want to die. Oh, my precious plant, why did you die? The plant was mine. It was a part of me. It was part of my us. And God, you took it away. You ever have a kid, one of your kids, one of your children, maybe yourself, admittedly, walking through a store, walking somewhere, they see something. Maybe somebody has a game or something like that. They have it for a couple seconds and then it gets taken away and breaks. And they are so upset. It's like you didn't even know the thing existed 30 seconds ago. How could you be that upset? It would be like me driving down the road, seeing something I've been wanting. Maybe, a, maybe somebody's getting rid of a, an old car or something like that that looks really cool and it's at a yard sale. And I just see it. And a guy is there and he buys it 30 seconds before I get there. And I'm like, oh, I was going to be mine. It's like I didn't even know it existed a minute ago. The turn before... I'd have been content as could be. 
God's getting Jonah's attention. God said, do you have a reason to be angry about the plant? In verse 9. And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. When verse 10, the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, for which you did not cause to grow, for which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the Lord tells him? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left. As well as many animals. Period. End of the book. Right there. How's the story end right there? So when we think about the us, with whom do you identify? Who did Jonah identify? He was an us. God, he, clearly God was on his side. He was like, you and me, God, let's smoke this, this, these Ninevites. That's not the way God looked at it. There are so many groupings that we can relate to and many groups that we can identify with and many groups that we cannot identify with. Some we even despise. We have a culture today seemingly fueled by the many forms of media that clearly delineate separate groups, separate camps, and often directly opposing each other. There is no middle ground often, right? I mean, there is no... Well, you know, we got that in common. Uh uh. No, you are. There's a chasm between. Can you think about the groups? They come with different names. You can think of them, right? A political party, conservative versus liberal, pro choice, pro life. You name it, there is so much that attempts to separate us and people, humans just like you and me at odds. There are clearly things that people do which are horrible. I get the impression that the Ninevites and were bad people before this. Do we attach God to our side like Jonah did? Did the story of Jonah teach us that God loves the people of Nineveh, all 120,000 of them too? There are so many complicated issues today that we may assume that God is on our side and he is against the other side. He is against, I am sure God is against the thems in this world. And I can rattle off a big list of grouping names of the thems. Should we respond to the other side, the thems of this world like Jonah did in three verses, chapters four, verse three and eight, where he said, Take my life from me, for death is, to me is better than life. Is that, is that what God wants us to say? Is that what we should say when the thems are out there? Just strike me down. You know, this is a similar situation to the walls of Jericho, the story in Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, 
are you for us or are you for our adversaries? You know, are you with us or the enemy? And he said, no. Rather, I indeed come now as a captain of the Lord's army. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Let us be about loving God's people, all of God's people. Even those who appear to be clearly our enemies, just as Jesus tells us from his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43, said, You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not, do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, from the story of Jonah, we know that all who re repent and obey the gospel will be on his side, that is God's side. All who repent and obey. It is, it is what Jesus has done for us that separates us from the world. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Without Jesus, we are just like everyone else. He is what separates us. We are to be humble and attract the thems to Jesus Christ our Lord, the only begotten Son of the Father. When we show God's love in us, that is God's hands and feet here on earth. Jonah got swallowed up with the us versus them thinking. We all have the opportunity to be repent and be saved from our wicked ways. And as it tells us in John 4, 35, Jesus says, Open our eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Do we have a good reason to be angry? I'll tell you, I can't watch the news, it seems. It's hard. But God wants us to love all those he created. If there's anyone here, any of us, who has sin that we need to repent of, like the Ninevites had to repent, we are separated from God by that. Everyone from the most vile, it doesn't matter because sin separates us. You are either with him or against him. It's not us versus them, it's us and it's him. Let us hear the call to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. Be right with him. Repent of your sins. And if you've never put on Christ in baptism, 
There is no better time than right now. Thank you for your kind attention. Clint is going to lead us in an invitation song for that. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.